0: All right, let's talk about Robert Louis Stevenson's The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Uh, There's a problem for any contemporary reader of this story in that we already know the relationship between Jekyll and Hyde before we ever start reading. It's so built into our culture that it can't come as a surprise for us. Uh, But as we're going through this, I want to keep in mind that it would have been a surprise for the original audience. Uh, that that one of the things Stevenson is doing here is setting up a mystery and creating a twist at the end. Now, any contemporary reader of this knows what the twist ending is going to be, uh, but it's worth thinking about why Stevenson presents it that way. So let's start with the main point of view character here uh, we, we er, introduced to in the first paragraph, Mr. Utterson, who is the lawyer. Uh, and it, it's a deliberate narrative strategy that Stevenson has here that he's going to present the story through Utterson, not through Jekyll and Hyde. Uh, of course, first of all, if he did that, it would give everything away. It wouldn't be a mystery. It wouldn't be a big, shocking reveal at the end. But look at how he establishes the character of Mr. Utterson. He says he was never, his face was never lighted with a smile, Cold, scanty, and embarrassed in discourse, backward in sentiment, lean, long, dusty, dreary, and yet somehow lovable. Uh, so this is not a life of the party guy. He doesn't. Ta- he does a lot more listening than talking, which is great for a narrator. Um, and look at what it says about his character. He was austere with himself drank gin when he was alone to mortify a taste for vintages now that is he to mortify that is to kill his taste for vintages for wine he has a little bit of gin when he's alone doesn't do any social drinking he just has a little when he's alone uh and that interesting idea that you have do a little bit of private drinking to mortify what could be yeah, what could develop into alcoholism even maybe uh, that obviously has a relevance to the whole th- theme of the story. And, and though he enjoyed the theater, he had not crossed the doors of one for 20 years. So he likes going out to the theater, but he doesn't go to it. He, uh, he's very, uh, he he's, denies himself the things that he wants. He doesn't indulge in drinking. He drinks uh, uh, strategically. Uh, he loves the theater, but he's not going to go to it. But he had an approved tolerance for others, sometimes wondering almost with envy at the high pressure of spirits involved in their misdeeds. So he himself doesn't you know doesn't party, but he kind of likes people who do. He almost envies them that they're the the high pressure of their spirits that they're able to, and in any extremity was inclined to help rather than to reprove, so he's not going to judge people he's going to help them out. he kind of secretly envies them. You see how all of this, though again a first time reader wouldn't realize it is preparing us thematically for what this whole story is about about repressed desires, about envying bad behavior um, we get a quote, "I am inclined to Cain's heresy uh, now he's talking about the the Cain of course killed his brother Abel, and when God asked him where where Abel was, he said, Am I my brother's keeper?' So that is the, Cain's heresy that he's talking about. But, of course, that reference brings up the uh, idea of Cain and Abel, the first murderer. Uh, also, part of the story is that when God banishes uh, Cain, he puts a mark on him. It's never said what the mark is. But in some strange way, I think that uh, uh, mis- Mr. Hyde has the mark of Cain in a way. Uh, He's, again, to the quote, I let my brother go to the devil in his own way. In this character, he was frequently his uh, fortune to be the last reputable acquaintance and the last good influence in the lives of downgoing men. So here's a guy, again, he's uh, he's not... Uh, doesn't walk on the wild side himself, but he's very tolerant of his friends who do, and he sticks by them even when they do. He said, "Look, you know, you, I, I I'm not responsible for you. You do whatever you want to." Um, so that is our narrator, Utterson. The well, again, not narrator. This is all third person limited point of view, that is, it's told in third person, but it's more or less limited to the perspective of Utterson, though he gets kind of a witness testimony from a number of different sources. And the first uh, piece of information he gets is from his friend Richard Enfield. Um, so they have these regular Sunday walks, and they're walking through uh, this busy quarter of London, and he... Uh, Infield points out a a door now this is uh, you have to get the the layout of the house here it's at a corner and on one side there's a a, a door that goes in this is the one that uh, uh Enfield has seen mr. Hyde go into with a key and around the corner is dr. Jekyll's house now it's not obviously connected there are kind of houses in between it uh but it kind of of uh, if you go, you go in the side door, you can go around and get to the other side of the the, the building. It's a, a kind of a convoluted uh, image that you have to get, but it's very thematically appropriate that there is a, a there's a, a a side entrance to Jekyll's house that isn't obviously his. That's where Hyde lives. It, it kind of fits in with the double identity uh, that he is that he has. So we get this story. Now, Mr. Enfield, um, this is the bottom of 1678. I was coming home from some place at the end of the world about three o'clock. Um, okay, now automatically, what does this tell us? Um, if you're coming back from some place at three o'clock in the morning, um, you, you probably, you know, it, it's probably something illicit. Now, he never says anything, he never says what it was or where he was. Uh, but, what he was doing, but uh, again, it suggests as so many little details in this story do that there 's this kind of seedy underworld to London that people engage in but never acknowledge uh, and he was infield was a part of that, and he sees at this at this very corner um, two people uh, walking towards each other, a girl, maybe eight or ten was running. And then we, he sees a little man who was stumping along eastward, um, and they ran they run into each other, uh, which happens a lot. but then the, what happens after is what ca- catches his attention. the horrible part of the thing for the man tramped trampled calmly over the child's body and left her screaming on the ground. It sounds nothing to hear, but it was hellish to see. It wasn't like a man. It was like some damned juggernaut. I gave a, a view halloa, took my uh, heels, collared my gentleman, and brought him back to where there was uh, already quite a group of, about the screaming child. He was perfectly cool and made no resistance, but gave me one look so ugly that it brought out the sweat on me, like running. So... The first thing that we see, and we find out, of course, this is Mr. Hyde, the first thing that he does is just literally trample this little girl that he runs into, um, and we see his kind of, his complete indifference to it. He's very cool about it. He He's not worried. It, it, it doesn't matter. Other people don't matter to them, uh, and the fact that she was screaming, he has no empathy. Uh, the fact that she was screaming that it hurt her doesn't doesn't care. Um, he just goes on his way no matter what gets in his way. And the, the doctor who comes, as he calls him, the sawbones, he says, also had this, uh, uh, this loathing. Everybody who sees Hyde has this, uh, uh, this, this as he says, a loathing to the gentleman at first sight. And he said he could see in the eyes, I saw that the sawbones, uh, turned sick and white with the desire to kill him, not just disliking, but wanting to kill him, um, so had the child's family, which was only natural. But the doctor's case was what struck me. He was the usual cut of uh, dry, cut and dry apothecary, of no particular age and color, with a strong Edinburgh accent and about as emotional as a bagpipe. Well, sir, so here this kind of very bland, unemotional doctor—you can see, you know, bloodlust in his eyes. You know, he wants to kill this guy. Well, sir. He was like the rest of us. Every time he looked at my prisoner, I saw the uh, sawbones saw uh, uh, turn sick and white with a desire to kill him. He um, says, I knew what was in his mind just as he knew what was in mine. And killing, being out of the question, we did the next best. We told the man we could and would make such a scandal out of this as should make his name stink from one end of London to the other. If he had any friends or any credit, we undertook that he should lose them. And all the time, as we were pitching it in red hot, pitching it in red hot, we were keeping the women off him as best we could, for they were as wild as harpies. Um, so look at what, you know, they really, they would like to kill him for this. But what they do instead is threaten his reputation. Again, this is very crucial to understanding the whole story. That uh, this is all. This is, as he says, the next best thing to killing him would be to ruin his reputation. And you have to understand the the, the structure of Victorian England at this time. There were very rigid codes of public morality. Uh, you know, you, you could be any any whiff of scandal could ruin somebody's reputation. Um, you, you remember in the, in uh, uh, Pride and Prejudice uh, the, the idea that uh, the Lydia has eloped uh, going off with a man she's not married with uh, would have been a scandal that would have ruined the family. Uh, same kind of thing here. Uh, if this got out and was public knowledge, it would be terrible. So n- notice that what the what, what Hyde says is, well, name your figure. Um, well, okay, I'll pay this off. He doesn't, you know, he, uh, he he's going to buy off his reputation. And they ask for a 100 pounds. And that's when he goes into this door. Uh, he, you know, uses a key, comes out, and he's got a check. Uh, he's got some of the money. He's got 10 pounds, but the rest of the money uh, from a, in, a, in a check. And Enfield won't even tell who signed it. Now, Enfield... Speculates that this was blackmail. In fact, he calls the, he calls this door the blackmail house uh, because he assumes that that's what's happened. Now, blackmail, of course, is when you know a secret about someone that they don't want to be public. You threaten to make it public, uh, or unless they give you money. Well, essentially, they have just blackmailed Hyde. So it's kind of natural he would he would get to that conclusion. So he figures that, that Hyde must have, know some dark secret that he can blackmail, as it turns out to be, uh, Jekyll. Now, two more details in this first little section of the of the story. Uh, first of all is Enfield's attitude about questions. He, he didn't make any, any uh, inquiries about this. He says, you start a question, and it's like starting a stone. This is page 1680. You sit quietly on the top of a hill, and away the stone goes, startling others, and presently some bland old uh, bird, the last you would have thought of, is knocked on on the head in his own uh, back back garden, and the family have to change their name. No, sir. I make it a rule of mine. The more it looks like Queer Street, the less I ask. So the, the stranger things is, and, and it, notice he says he won't ask questions because... Uh, that, that image of an avalanche—you know, it's like a little stone that gets, gets something, and it could hurt somebody. I, I see somebody, they uh, ruin the family. They have to change their name again. The threat of blackmail, a public disgrace of of having your dark secrets known, um, and also look at the way at the bottom of sixteen eighty, that he tries to describe, Mister Hyde. He says he is not easy to describe. There is something wrong with his appearance. Something. "'Displeasing. Something downright detestable. "'I never saw a man I so disliked, and yet I scarce know why. "'He must be deformed somewhere. "'He gives a strong feeling of deformity, "'although I could, couldn't could specify the point. "'He's an extraordinary-looking man, "'and yet I really can name nothing out of the way. "'No, sir, I can make no hand of it. "'I can't describe him, and it's not a want of memory, "'for I declare I can see him this moment.' So there's something weird uh, about him again. Something wrong. He's he seems like he's deformed, but you can't see any physical deformity. Of course, as we f- we'll find out, he's got a, a a deformity of of the soul or the character, and he strikes everybody in this way. Now, Utterson uh, realizes more from this story than Infield uh, does because. Utterson is Dr. Jekyll's lawyer, and he has Dr. Jekyll's will in the next section, Searching for Mr. Hyde. Uh, We get the the idea of this will where Jekyll has left all of his estate to, quote, his friend and benefactor, Edward Hyde, uh, and also in the case of his disappearance or unexplained absence for any period exceeding three calendar months. So if he if Jekyll disappears, not necessarily dies, but just disappears for three months, Hyde also inherits. Uh, now this fits perfectly with the idea of blackmail, right? That if if Hyde has got something on Jekyll, he's written into his will. Uh, he's he's kind of in control. Now Utterson goes to Doctor Lanyon, who uh, he and. Uh, That is, Utterson, Lanyon, and Jekyll seem to be old friends. Um, It says, You and I must be the two oldest friends that Henry Jekyll has. Um, And Lanyon says that he hasn't been in contact with Jekyll for quite a while. It says, In the middle of 1682, Henry Jekyll became too fanciful for me. He began to go wrong, wrong in mind, and though, of course, I continue to take an interest in him for old sake's sake, as they say, I see and have seen devilish little of the man. Um, so he's gone wrong, wrong in the mind. He's uh, has these, um, uh, and, and Utterson sees, oh, well, he's got some kind of, uh, difference in science. They're both doctors. They're both men of science. There's some kind of, of weird theory that Jekyll had that Lanyon didn't like, and it's nothing more than that. Um, it turns out Lanyon has never heard of Hyde. So Utterson is this kind of intrigue. Again, this is the mystery part of the story. He's trying to figure out who this Hyde is and what he's got on Dr. Jekyll and he says in on page 1683 if he be mr hyde he had thought i shall be mr seek uh, and again we get the wonderful um uh, symbolism of the name hyde uh conceal uh you know that's that's what he is but of course hyde also means the skin or the exterior uh something that is, is outwardly visible uh that hides an interior uh and so Utterson stakes out the the house. He stakes out that door that he knows is to the laboratory behind the the main house of Dr. Jekyll. Uh, He wants to see if he can find him, and he he does eventually. Uh, The bottom of 1683, he he had an odd light footstep drawing near. And, uh, you know, he's a small man, plainly dressed, um, and and Utterson approaches him, calls him by name, um, and specifically asks, let me see your face. He wants to get a good look at him. And um, uh, Hyde keeps asking, well, how do you know me? Um, and he says, uh, and and when Utterson suggests that uh, Dr. Jekyll told him about him, he said, well, you're a liar. He says, well, that's not a very proper thing to say. And he, so he just laughs and, and leaves him. And again, Utterson has trouble describing him, the bottom of 1684. Mr. Hyde was pale and dwarfish; He gave an impression of deformity without any nameable malformation. He had a displeasing smile. He had borne himself to the lawyer with a sort of murderous mixture of timidity and boldness, and he spoke with a husky, whispering, and somewhat broken voice. All these were points against him, but... Not all of these together could explain the hitherto unknown disgust, loathing, and fear with which Mr. Utterson regarded him. And he says, the top of 1685, The man seems hardly human. Something troglodytic, shall we say. Or can it be the old story of Dr. Fell? That's a, that's a nursery rhyme. I do not like thee, Dr. Fell, the reason why I cannot tell. Um, he says, Or is it the mere radiance of a foul soul? that thus transpires through and transfigures its clay continent. The last, I think, as he says, Satan's signature upon a face. Um, again, there's there's a mark on him. It's almost like the, the mark of Cain. So, Edison goes around the corner and uh, we meet another important character, the the butler, Jekyll's butler, Poole. Um, and he gets some information from him. Turns out, yes, that, Hyde kind of has the run of the place, but though, as he says, he never dines here, uh, he mostly comes and goes by the laboratory. And the bottom of 1685, uh, Utterson is thinking, poor Harry Jekyll, he thought. My mind misgives me. He is in deep waters. He was wild when he was young, a long while ago, to be sure, but in the law of God, there is no statute of limitations. I... It must be the ghost of some old sin, the career of some concealed disgrace, punishment coming, clodo, years after memory has forgotten and self-love condoned the fault. So again, he says, interestingly, he believes it's a black male too. That's all the evidence points to that. Um, but he also points out that, you know, Jekyll was kind of a wild man when he was younger. Uh, maybe that's all come back to haunt him. And Utterson thinks about himself. He says his past was fairly blameless. This is the top of 1686. Few men could read the rolls of their lives with less apprehension. Yet he was humbled to the dust by the many ill things he had done and raised up again into a sober and fearful gratitude by the many that he had, that he had come so near to doing yet avoided. Um... And he says that the, this Mr. Hyde, if he were studied, must have secrets of his own, black secrets. They say, well, two can play at this game. We can blackmail him. But notice that uh, Utterson, who again seems very, uh, very upright, uh, and it, he thinks not only of, of the things he's done, but the things that he came near to doing and didn't. Again, that fits in very much with the story of Jekyll and Hyde. So the next brief section. Uh, We get, uh, after a a dinner party uh, at Jekyll's house, Utterson stays back and and talks to him about it. And here we get our first description of Dr. Jekyll. This is in the middle of 1686. Um, He was a large, well-made, smooth-faced man of 50, with something of a slyish cast, perhaps, but every mark of capacity and kindness, you could uh, see by his looks that he cherished for Mister Utterson a sincere and warm affection. Now, it's significant that Hyde is a big, well-made man. Right? The he's, he's, uh, suggestion is he's heavy-set. He's fifty years old. Hyde is small, almost dwarfish, and he's young. They they mentioned several times at the top of 1687 that uh, I've been learning something of young Hyde. Um, that uh, The idea often, and you know we'll talk more about this next time, but often people think of Jekyll and Hyde as Jekyll is the good part and Hyde is the bad part. They're kind of the yin and yang. That's not what the story suggests. The story suggests that... Jekyll is a, he's a normal guy. He has good and bad in him. But Hyde is the distillation of the bad part. That's why he's a smaller part of Jekyll. That's why he's smaller. While um, uh, well, uh, Jekyll is a, a big man, Hyde is a small dwarvish one. So Utterson has brought up the topic of Hyde and gets some interesting responses from Jekyll. Uh, as he says, my position is a very strange, a very strange one. It is one of those affairs that cannot be mended by talking. Um, So he says, I, you know, this. I, I'm in a weird place. I can't really talk about it. Jekyll, said uh, Utterson, you know me. I'm a man to be trusted. Make a clean breast of this in confidence, and I make no doubt I can get you out of it. My good Utterson, said the doctor, "'This is very good of you. This is downright good of you, and I I cannot find words to thank you in. "'I believe you fully. I would trust you before any man alive, I before myself, if I could make the choice. But indeed, it isn't what you fancy. It is not so bad as that. And just to put your good heart at rest, I will tell you one thing. The moment I choose, I can be rid of Mr. Hyde. I give you my hand upon that.' And I thank you again and again, and I will just add one little word, Utterson, that I'm sure you'll take in good part, that this is a private matter, and I beg you to let it sleep. All right. So, now this reads very differently, the first, you know, for an audience that doesn't know the secret. Um... This is kind of mysterious, and it kind of heightens the mystery. Now, when you do know what's going on and why he has to say all this, the most ironic thing uh, in light of the rest of the story is when Jekyll says, the moment I choose, I can be rid of Mr. Hyde. Um, It turns out that that's not going to be true. And, you know, uh, an innocent first-time reader would think it wasn't true, too, but they would think, oh, he's he's overconfident. He thinks he can get rid of this blackmailer. And Jekyll also asks that, the, uh, that Utterson w- will help out Mr. Hyde should anything happen to Jekyll. He says, I only ask you to help him for my sake when I am no longer here. Now, that's interesting. So Jekyll seems to both believe that he can get rid of Hyde and also to believe that there's a possibility that Hyde will get rid of him, that he will go away and it will be just Mr. Hyde. Uh, so both of those ideas are in his, his mind. And again, when you, uh, when you read it, knowing what the relationship between Jekyll and Hyde is, uh, all of this becomes very interesting, this kind of conflicted, even here, relationship that Jekyll has with Hyde. Now the next section, we get the, the Carew murder case. This is a year later, uh, and we get the testimony of a maid servant who is a witness to a murder. Uh, we see Hyde murders a man, uh, and it is it is Caro. He uh, says, top uh, of sixteen eighty eight, an aged and beautiful gentleman with white hair, uh, drawing along the lane and advancing to meet him. Another very small gentleman. Now notice that this is echoing the. Uh, Infield's story about uh, Hyde literally running into a young girl. Uh, so here are the two coming to meet. Um, notice that Hyde's victims are so sympathetic. A young girl, a 10-year-old ten, a girl, uh, a, a, a kindly old man. Uh, you know, Stevenson's really laying it on thick. He's uh, uh, having Hyde victimize very sympathetic people. And look at how the murder is described in the middle of 1688. And then, all of a sudden, he broke out in a great flame of anger, stamping with his foot, brandishing the cane and carrying on, as the maid described it, like a madman. The old gentleman took a step back, with the air of one very much surprised and a trifle hurt. And at that, Mr. Hyde broke out of all bounds and clubbed him to the earth, and next moment with ape-like fury he was trampling his victim underfoot and hailing down a storm of blows which under the bones which uh, with, under which the bones were audibly shattered and the body jumped upon the roadway as the horror of the sights at the horror of these sights and sounds the maid fainted very victorian you know the maid faints um here we get, this is, notice it's an escalation. Before, he uh, hurt somebody, but it was, almost, it was almost indifferent. He just trampled over them and didn't care. Now, he's actively attacking someone. Hyde's uh, 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 cruelty comes out here, his ferocity. Uh, it's not just that he's indifferent to people and hurts them. He's actively uh, hurting them. Now, it turns out that the, uh, the, the dead man had a letter addressed to Utterson in his pocket that he was going to mail, apparently. Uh, Sir so, so, uh, so, um, Danvers Carew, um, was a, it turns out, was a member of parliament and all this. And so the police contact Utterson, and he knows about uh, uh, Hyde, knows where he lives, and so he takes them there. But it turns out that nobody's there. Uh, his the, the landlady, you know, asks what has he done. She expects something bad of him. Nobody seems to like him. But the 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 place has been ransacked, and uh, there's no sign of Hyde. Uh, as they say, the the page 1690, his family could nowhere be traced. He had never been photographed, so they can't really track him down. He's he's completely vanished. Now, in the next section, Utterson goes to Jekyll to ask him about what's going on and you know, hopefully find out where Hyde is. 1691, he says, Caru was my client, but so are you, and I want to know what I am doing. You have not been mad enough to hide this fellow. Utterson, I swear to God, cried the doctor, I swear to God, I will never set eyes on him again. I bind my honor to you, that I am done with him in this world. It is at an end, and indeed he does not want my help. You do not know him as I do. He is safe, he is quite safe. Mark my words, he will never be, heard, uh, be never more be heard of. The lawyer listened gloomily. He did not like his friend's feverish manner. "'You seem pretty sure of him,' said he, "'and for your sake I hope you may be right.' If I came to a if it came to a trial, your name might appear. I am quite sure of him, replied Jekyll. I have grounds for certainty that I cannot share with anyone, but there is one thing on which you may advise me i have I have received a letter, and I am at a loss whether I should show it to the police. I should like to leave it in your hands. Utterson. You would judge wisely, I am sure I have so great a trust in you. Now, this letter is from Edward Hyde, and uh, it "It signified briefly enough that the uh, the writer's benefactor, Dr. Jekyll, whom he had uh, long so unworthily repaid for a thousand generosities, uh, need labor under no alarm for his safety, as he had means of escape on which he placed sure dependence. The lawyer liked this letter well enough. It put a better color on the intimacy that he had than he had looked for, and he blamed himself for some of his past suspicions. All right, so this is a, a, a letter that kind of clears Jekyll. Hyde has written it, um, so and this this helps things out from the lawyer's perspective. But Utterson presses him and says, "Wasn't it Hyde who who made you change the the will?" And uh, this is the top of 1692. Jekyll admits that it was. And uh, Utterson I knew it, said Utterson. He meant to murder you. You have had a a fine escape. I have had what is far more to the purpose, returned the doctor solemnly. I have had a lesson. Oh God, Utterson, what a lesson I have had. And he covered his face for a moment with his hands. Uh, So he's kind of learned his lesson. Again, this is all very opaque. Uh, you can certainly read it if you don't know what what's coming as uh, this uh, uh, blackmail, but still we don't know what the what we feel like. If you didn't didn't already know that we're going to find out some dark secret about Jekyll's past, and indeed we are, but not the kind that uh, a first time reader might have suspected. Uh, now it turns out that Utterson takes this letter back to the office with him and to his, his uh, head clerk, Mr. Guest, who is an expert on handwriting and has him evaluate evaluated. Um, and it turns out the, the handwriting is remarkably like Dr. Jekyll's handwriting. He says, uh, 1693, uh, there's a rather singular resemblance. The two hands are in many points identical, only differently sloped. Rather quaint," said Utterson. "It is, as you say, rather quaint," returned the guest. "I wouldn't speak of this note, you know," said the master. "No, sir," said the clerk. "I understand." Now, a couple of things here. First of all, uh, the the idea that their handwriting is the same kind. of, There's a different slope or slant. Uh, again, that uh, uh, Hyde is uh, one slant, one bent of of uh, Jekyll's character. And also uh, that exchange after this, that uh, very discreetly, uh, Utterson is telling his clerk not to mention this. Though they both realize what it means, it means, uh, they think that Jekyll wrote this letter and is passing it off as Mr. Hyde's, Um, uh, but he can't believe it. He says, why would Henry Jekyll forge for a murderer? So the, the mystery deepens. Now, in the next section, uh, the remarkable incident of Dr. Lanyon, uh, we find out how Jekyll's life changes after this murder. First of all, we, we learn more a little more about Mr. Hyde. Mr. Hyde had disappeared out of the ken of the police as though he had never existed. Much of his past was unearthed, indeed, and all disreputable. Tales came out of the man's cruelty. At once so callous and violent, of his vile life and his strange associates, of the hatred that seemed to have surrounded his career, but of his present whereabouts, not a whisper. Now Stevenson is, I think, very deliberately vague about the uh, the, the bad things that Mister Hyde does. Uh, we see he's he, we've seen that he's cruel. Uh, almost uh, sadistic, uh, callous and violent, uh, uh, callous, uncaring, like you know, walking over a little girl. Violent, like clubbing a man to death. Uh, but he mentions his his vile life and strange associations. Uh, well, what did he do that was so vile? What were those strange associations? Uh, again, I think Stevenson wants it to be a little bit unclear. Uh, and in some ways, it's more powerful because it's unclear. It's like the scene in the horror movie when you hear the monster scraping behind the door. That's often much scarier than when the door opens and it's just some kind of crappy CGI monster. Uh, your imagination can makes it make it worse than the than actually seeing something. And so he keeps it kind. Of, and also, it means you you kind of project what your own. Uh, you know, dark fantasies might be. Um, now, as we hear how bad Hyde was, we see that, uh, as I said, a new life began for Dr. Jekyll. He came out of his seclusion, renewed relations with his friends, became once more their familiar guest and entertainer. And whilst he had always been known for charities, he was now no less distinguished for religion. He was busy. He was much in the open air. He did good. His face seemed to open and brighten as if with an inward consciousness of service and for more than two months the doctor was at peace so he 's really kind of uh, kind of um, changing uh, you know turning over a new leaf. He's always been a respectable man, but now he, he's a he's a religious man. He's he, working for charity. He's out among people. He's doing good work. Um, he, he's uh, becoming a respectable, an even more respectable member of society. And then one night, Doctor Lanyon comes to visit Utterson, and look at the description of him, um, the change which had taken place in the doctor's appearance. Uh, he describes he had uh, he had his death warrant written legibly upon his face the rosy man had grown pale his flesh had fallen away he was visibly balder and older and yet it was not so much these tokens of a swift physical decay that arrested the lawyer's notice as he as the look in the eye and quality of manner that seemed to testify to some deep-seated terror of the mind And you know, he says, "I have had a shock, um, and I shall never recover. It is a question of weeks." Well, life has been pleasant. Uh, He's literally, you know, kind of on his on his last legs here. And uh, he says, "Jekyll is ill too." uh, Observed Utterson. Have you seen him? So after all this period, you know, this couple of months where uh, Jekyll was out and about and you know doing good works, he's become a recluse. Uh, Utterson can't get admitted into his house. Um, and Dr. Lanyon said, "'I wish to see or hear no more of Dr. Jekyll,' he said in a loud, unsteady voice. "'I am quite done with that person, "'and I beg that you will spare me any allusion "'to one of, uh, whom I regard as dead.' "'Tut, tut,' said Mr. Utterson. "'And then after a considerable pause, "'can't I do anything?' he inquired. "'We are, th- uh, three very old friends, Dr. Lanyon.' We should not live to. Uh, we should not live to make others. Nothing can be done. Returned Lanyon. Ask himself. He will not see me. Said the lawyer. I am not surprised at that. Was the reply. Some day, Edison, after I am dead, you may perhaps come to learn the right and wrong of this. I cannot tell you. And in the meantime, if you can sit and talk uh, with me of of other things, for, for God's sake, stay and do so. Um, so. Again, this is all very mysterious. What has happened? What, is, what shock has he had? Why is he completely disowning uh, uh, Dr. Jekyll? And Utterson gets a letter from Jekyll. He says that, you know, we must never meet. I mean from henceforth to lead a life of extreme seclusion. Uh, so he's saying, you know, I'm, I'm never going to see you again. Uh, then, you know, a few weeks after, Dr. Lanyon Dies and Utterson gets a letter uh, that he is supposed to uh, read only in the uh, not to be opened until the death or disappearance of Dr. Henry Jekyll. And Utterson is struck by the notion of not just death but disappearance. That's the same thing that was said in the will. Now, in the next uh, little section, uh, we kind of come back to the beginning. That is, it's a Sunday walk with uh, Utterson and Infield, and they're walking past the 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 door that's the the entry to uh, Jekyll's laboratory. Uh, and now Infield realizes that he didn't realize it at the time, but he has come to, and they decide to go around and and see the 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 courtyard of the to look at the window, see if anybody is there, and they see. Dr. Jekyll at the window, and he kind of uh, talking to them, and uh, they invite him down, you know, come get your hat and take a quick turn with us. He says, I, I dare not. Um, he says, but indeed, Utterson, I am very glad to see you. This is really a great pleasure. I would ask you and Mr. Infield up, but the place is really not fit. "'Why, then, said the lawyer good-naturedly, "'the best thing we can do is to just stay down here "'and speak with you from where, you, where, where we are.' "'That is just what I was about to venture to propose,' "'returned the doctor with a smile, "'but the words were hardly uttered, "'before the smile was struck out of his face "'and succeeded by an expression of such abject terror and despair "'as froze the very blood of the two gentlemen below. "'They saw it but for a glimpse, for the window was instantly thrust down.' But the glimpse had been sufficient, and they turned and left the court without a word um, so he something again, this kind of mysterious something expression of terror and despair, and he leaves them he won't talk this is the this is the last time that uh, Utterson will see uh Dr. Jekyll alive all right um I think I'm going to end it there uh this is we're about halfway through the The story, uh, and the rest of it will be the as the the last night, and also the two two letters, one from uh, uh, Lanyon, Doctor Lanyon, and the other the full confession of uh, Doctor Jekyll. Um, One thing I want you to think about is again, what is it that Hyde allows Jekyll to do? Uh, How is that? Why is he useful? to Jekyll? Why does he keep him around? Um, So we'll be looking at the rest of the story for next time. I thank you for your attention, and I will talk to you then.